There are a lot of people who have a lot of thoughts about what they think it means to be church. We typically incorrectly say things like, oh, do you want to go to church? Oh, where are you going this Sunday morning? Well, I'm going to church. And what people don't realize is that that is really an impossibility. Um, Look around the room. This building isn't the church. Um, You might be familiar with going to an actual building that has a steeple on it with a cross on the top. And you think that that is the church. I want you to understand that that is not the church. The church is us, the people. The word church in the original language is the word ecclesia. It means those who have been called out. Those who have been called out from darkness. Those who have been called out from the world. And now to be part of God's family. So when we talk about the church, there are a lot of things that people have to say and there are a lot of thoughts that people have to have. We're progressing progressing through the book of Acts, verse by verse. And if you were with us last Sunday, you will know that Peter preached the first sermon to the group of the people of Israel that were there in the city of Jerusalem. At the beginning of the chapter 2 of Acts, the 120 have been in the upper room praying waiting for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and falls upon them. They begin to speak in other languages. And they spill into the streets. And there are crowds of thousands of thousands of people there. And they think that the 120 who are speaking in native languages that everyone else is hearing, they think that they're drunk. There's only one problem, though. It's 9 a.m. It's the third hour. Typically, people don't get drunk that early. You might know someone that does. But typically, people don't get drunk that early. And Peter makes the argument that they also wouldn't have gotten drunk that early because they're there for Pentecost. They're there to celebrate the harvest and God's faithfulness for their crops. That instead of them being drunk, what's happened is what God had prophesied through the prophet Joel. That in the last days, God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. And then Peter will go to show how Jesus is the Lord. The one who was to come and to save Israel. And that he had come, lived his life. He had died and he had rose again. And that now he was seated at God's right hand in heaven. And that he was the one who had sent the Holy Spirit. And Peter says to them, you are responsible for the death of Jesus. You were the ones who put him on the cross. The text says that they are cut to the heart. They are convicted of their sin. They understand that they killed the Savior that they were waiting for. And so they turn to Peter and say, so tell us, what is it that we need to do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And that the promised Holy Spirit will come upon you and your children and those who are far off to the ends of the earth. And we see in verse 41 that on that day, 3,000 people were saved by God. 3,000 people in one day humbled themselves, repented, believed, and gave their lives to Jesus Christ. 
So what does Luke do next? Luke, if you don't know, he was the one who was writing the book of Acts. He is writing to Theophilus, proving now what's happened after the death of Jesus Christ. And so now he's going to describe what those who have been gathered by God will do. The church. What activities do they display? What character do they have? And what effect are they having on the people around them? So this is the text that we're going to see this morning. Luke's purpose here is to be able to give us a summary description of what the church did, its activity, and the character the character that they had, the way that they did it. How many of you guys have ever heard the expression that our values shape our behavior? You know whether someone believes something if you see that they have behavior that follows it. A lot of time, people say they believe in things, but then you never see it in their behavior, which means what? They really don't believe what they say. I believe in gravity. How about you guys? And I prove that I believe in gravity because every single time I go hiking with my family in the spring, summer, and fall to the escarpment, we live in Burlington, so 15 minutes away from our house, we have Rattlesnake Point, we have Crawford Lake, we have a bunch of places, but especially places like Rattlesnake Point. I don't let my kids go close to the edge. Why? Any guesses? Gravity. Because if they go over the edge, what's going to happen? They're not going to fly. Guys, they're, they're not going to fly. So when we talk about that our values shape our behavior, many times our values are only seen because of our behavior. So you can know what someone believes, not so much by what they say, by, but more by what they do. Because our actions speak louder than our I grew up, and one of the things my dad constantly told me was that talk is cheap. Because anybody can say anything. Right? But talk is what? So Luke isn't going to tell us what the church was talking about every day. But he's going to focus on what the church was actually doing. I want you to hear from me that if you go to this church... And when I say the word church, who am I talking about? The people, not this place. Because we could gather anywhere in any other kind of building. That's why we don't have an issue being in the theater here with all these wonderful people. It doesn't bother us where we gather. What matters to us is that we do. You need to have these activities in this character. Every single church. And if you don't, you should ask yourself whether you should be in that church. We're just going to talk about what's in the Bible. So the first things that we're going to look at is the activity of the church. We're going to look at verse 42. Look at the first words in verse 42. And they were, what? Devoted. You know what the word devoted means? It means to be committed. Constantly to give attention to. 
to continue steadfastly. This is the same word in chapter 1 in verse 14. When Jesus had told his apostles and followers to wait in Jerusalem to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, the 120 were in the upper room. And what were they doing? And all of these, with one accord, in agreement, they were, what? Devoting themselves to what? To prayer. Together with the women. They were devoting themselves to prayer. So when we ask ourselves, here we go again, we're going to see. Jesus had risen from the dead. Does anybody remember how many days he was with? His followers, after he raised from the dead? Forty. And how many people remember how many days the 120 were praying in the upper room? Ten. And you add those two numbers together, we get? Fifty. That's why it's the festival of Pentecost. Listen, listen, my brothers. I'm not dumbing nobody down here. What we want to make sure is that we understand the truths of the word of God. Amen? How long did they devote themselves to praying? Ten days. They were committed to praying. The followers of Jesus understood that they needed to be together. Say with me, we're better together. What is it that motivated them? It was commitment. Are you with me? When they gathered together, they gathered because they knew that they were committed to each other. Before we can talk about what they did, we need to establish that they understood that they were committed to each other. I've said this before, and I'm going to keep saying this. Do you know the average church attendance per month is? Do you know what it is? 1.5 times a month. I want you to know that's not being committed. It's not. How many of you are committed to your jobs? Whoa. How many of you go to work every day, typically, from Monday to Friday? That's what? Commitment. Right? Because if you don't go to work, what happens? You don't get... So you're committed, right? Before we know what we need to do, we need to ask ourselves whether we're committed to God. And you know how we show that we're committed to God? By being committed to each other. There's no other way. There are a lot of things we let get in the way, though. Yes or no? You talk to people, every reason is a better reason than being together on a Sunday morning. It's the only day I get to sleep in. Really? You're committed to sleeping then. They were committed. Ask yourself whether you're committed. You know what committed means? They're all in. It means you understand what your values are and you show your values by what you do with your behavior. We need to be committed. 
We need to be all in. You see, what undergirded all that they did was the fact that they believed that they needed to be committed to each other. So what's the first thing that they did? And they devoted themselves. They were committed to these specific activities again and again. So when they got together, these were the things that they did. The first one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were a biblical people. They were devoted to sitting under the truth of the word of God. What consisted of their preaching and of their teaching? Well, if you were to read the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, you'll see what Jesus told his apostles to do after he raised from the dead. This was the command that he gave them. What did he say to them? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe what? All that I have commanded you. So what was it that the apostles were teaching these new believers? Everything that Jesus had taught them. Everything that they had learned over the three and a half years of following Jesus. That he had told them that he was the Savior. That he was the one to come. That he had come to establish the kingdom of God. Was the same thing now that the apostles were now teaching these new believers. It was the foundation that they were to stand on. So they taught who Jesus was, what he did, how he died, how he rose from the dead, how he was sitting now at God's right hand, and they used the Old Testament to prove that Jesus was the Savior who had been prophesied to come. If you want to know what the apostles preached, listen to my sermon last week. Because Peter's preaching last week was exactly what they would have spent their time teaching new believers. We'll see repeatedly throughout the whole book of Acts that when there's an opportunity to share a message, the message they share is the gospel, what we call the good news. And that good news was the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This was their topic of conversation when they gathered together to learn. It was the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Eventually, over time, churches were started. And as those churches were started, there were issues that came up. And so letters were written by the apostles to deal with those issues. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody here have challenges in their lives? If you don't, I want to talk to you. Get some perspective. And that over time became what we know today and became codified as the New Testament. The narratives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, and then the historical book, we had the book of Acts, the one that we're going through, and then we have other books like Romans and all of the epistles. And then the book of Revelation at the end where we see how the apostles give instruction to the churches and all of the instruction that they give is based on the Savior Jesus Christ. 
It's now living in light of Jesus and how you make sense of Jesus being lived in our lives. Amen? And so now today, this is what we preach. We consistently and faithfully preach the word of God. Why? Because this is exactly what the church did. And so, if you come here, you know that we preach verse by verse. We go through God's word verse by verse. Why? Because we believe that it is the word of God through the spirit of God that changes our lives. It's nothing else. Look, we don't come here to share ideas or philosophies or strategies for men. We come here because we believe that this is God's word and that God speaks to us. That is it. There is nothing else that we talk about. It's Jesus Christ. And it's Jesus Christ who has been revealed to us through his word. Be a good time for you to say amen. A church must be committed to preaching the word of God. If you are a part of a church and this book isn't the focus, you should ask yourself whether you should still be going there. Our job here, it isn't to grow this group of people. Our job here is to faithfully present Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. And if we do that, we'll see at the end of our text that it is Jesus the Lord who grows the church, not us. We just need to be faithful to the activity that we see happening. So when they gather together and they were committed, what did they do? They heard the apostles' teaching, the word of God. Second, they were a people in fellowship. The word fellowship means partnership. It means sharing. They were devoted to spending time together. They shared their lives with one another. They got to know each other. You see, this fellowship, this relationship now that God has brought us into through Jesus Christ is permanent. Say permanent. You don't get to choose. You know what that means? My kids don't get to choose their siblings. My son has to live with the fact that he has two sisters. He doesn't get a choice. He has to learn to live with it and to love them. You guys hear what I'm saying? Because people will say, wow, but there's some weird people in our church. Yeah, there are. But have you ever thought that maybe you're one of the weird ones? I'm just wondering. This partnership that we're in now is forever. If we don't learn to get along here, how are we going to get along in heaven? Because this is practice. And this is practice forever. There is no such thing, according to the Bible, of someone who says that I believe in Jesus and not be part of a local church. That doesn't exist. That's a lie. That's unbiblical. That's from the pit of hell. Because God has saved us. And he saved us and he's brought us together. 
And so to say that you love God who sent Jesus for you because you're saved and now you don't want to be together with other saved people is you basically saying, God, I don't want what you have for me. It doesn't make any sense. The Bible never envisions a believer outside and independent of being part of the church. Why? Because we are the church. We are the church. The church is not man-made. It's not our idea. It's God's idea. And it's God's way of ensuring that we care for each other and that we're held accountable. You know what that means? I care about the decisions you make in your life. The good ones and the bad ones. And you know why I care? Because I increasingly want to see you make which kind of decisions. Not just good ones. I want to see you make godly ones. Because there's a lot of decisions that people make out there that they see are good, but they're not godly. And what kind of decisions do you want me to make? This accountability thing works both ways, right? I don't know if you guys understand. I'm not perfect. My wife is there. Ask her. Is that true? You know it is. You know better than anybody. And so we're called to share life with each other. William, what does that look like? Please tell me practically. Because sometimes we have this disconnect of the truth and then not knowing how to make sense of it in our life. Here's some ways. It means knowing the names of the people in this room. Look around. If you don't know anyone's name, (laughs) and you've been here a few times, you should ask yourself, how committed you are. If you don't know the names of people's children in this room, if you don't know where some of the people in this room live, you're not in fellowship. If some of the people in this room don't know where you live, there isn't fellowship. You see, fellowship isn't what happens here in two hours. This is not just the context of where we share life together. You're going to see in our text that it says day by day they were together. You know what day by day means? It means the other six days of the week that we're not here for two hours. Oh, but William, we're busy. Can someone here, is anyone here not busy? You're not busy? You're busy. You're not busy. We're going to have to get you busy then. You're the only one. I don't think the issue is the fact that we're busy. I think the issue is that we're busy doing the wrong things. We spend a lot of time doing a lot of nothing. How many of you guys know what this means? Don't tell me. We all exercise, people. The part of our body that gets the most exercise is this finger. Some of us have even mastered the thumb. Some of us don't like the iPhone Max because we can't hold it in our hand to go like this. Do you care about whether the people in this room have jobs? 
You care about whether the people in this room can pay their rent and their mortgage and their bills. That's what fellowship means. It means knowing and caring. And it means knowing and caring that if you can help in any way, you will and you would and you should. Not just material, but also spiritual needs. You worried about how people are doing in here? How many of you guys have cell phones? And all of them are smart enough to keep contacts in them, right? To make phone calls? Text messages? Emails? That's what fellowship is. It's caring for people. So they were a biblical people. They were people who had fellowship, and they were Christ-centered. How were they Christ-centered? Well, they were devoted to breaking bread. And we know clearly that this is an example of communion. So when they got together on a consistent basis, what did they do? Well, they did what we just did this morning. What did we do? We remembered our Lord Jesus Christ. We shared in communion with one another. We remember what Jesus Christ has done for each and every one of us individually, but also collectively. This breaking of bread meant that when they came together, they didn't just preach about Jesus, but they did things to be reminded of what Jesus did for them. Communion was one of them. Why? Because this is one of the areas that we all have in common. There is no way into the family of God other than through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. We all share that. And if you haven't made that decision yet, if you haven't repented and believed and been baptized in water, I need to let you know that you still haven't become part of this family. Now ask me the question, do I want you to? Do you want to talk about it? Do I want to talk to you about it? Absolutely. We're preparing to have another baptism service this spring. I can't wait to dunk some of you in water. It's my favorite thing to do. And for those of you who have been baptized, we do not hold you under the water for more than five seconds, right? Absolutely. So we do things that cause us to remember what it is Jesus did for us. If, if this is causing you to tune out, you should ask yourself, whether it is, you acknowledge what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. So they were committed to what? The Bible. They were a biblical people. They were committed to what else? Fellowship. Spending life together. They were committed to what? Being Christ-centered, knowing that the only focus that they had was Jesus Christ. That is the only reason, my friends, we come together. It's because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. That is all. We're not a social club. You know what that means? We're not here to play games like bingo or like anything else that we want to play. Monopoly. That's not the reason we gather. We gather because of Jesus. And what else were they devoted to? Prayer. These are the four activities that they consistently did when they got together. They prayed. Do you know that the church started as a result of a prayer meeting? We, we saw the text, Acts 1.14. They were praying together, and when they prayed together, the Holy Spirit came. And when the Holy Spirit came, it spilled into the road. And because it spilled into the road, Peter preached. And as a result of Peter's preaching, 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ. That's how the church started. It was at a prayer meeting. 
Now let me tell you something that you probably already know. Do you know what church meeting is the last one that people go to? It's funny, the thing we need most, we do the least. You guys know that every morning at 9 o'clock to 9.30 that we're in theater number four praying. You're invited. Oh, William, we have kids. It's okay. Bring them and let your kids do what my kids do. My kids are here at 8.30. You know what they do for an hour and a half? They run around and get exercise. Come pray. We have a slide up there. We have our first quarterly prayer meeting coming up on Friday, September the 17th. It's going to be at Sheridan College. Sorry, what did I say, March? September. Wow. I'm like ready for the fall already. Jeez, wow. That's going to be our third quarterly prayer meeting. We have four, once a quarter. Our first quarterly prayer meeting is going to be on February the 17th. Friday night, 7.30 to 9.30, Sheridan College. It's just across the street from here. You can park at the uh, mall parking across the street and come into the building. The info is there. The room number is here. Take a picture. Come and join us. You can come for part of the prayer meeting. You can come for the whole prayer meeting. We're going to do our best to try to stream the prayer meeting, but come and pray. A church that that does not pray is not a church. Do you know what prayer always reminds us of? What? That we need God, that we are needy, and that he is worthy. And so if we don't pray, do you know what we're telling God? I got this. <laughs> you got nothing. <laughs> Just to be honest, we have nothing. Apart from Jesus, we can do Jesus said, apart from me, you can do. So the best way that we show God that we know we need him is by getting together in prayer. Amen? Listen, I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. I'm not mad. Some people, like, I know I'm very serious when I speak sometimes or I could say things in a certain way. It's just my personality. I just pray that above all you would hear God's voice speaking to you through his word and not my own. These were the activities that the church was committed to consistently. They were a biblical people who were in fellowship together, who were Christ-centered, and who prayed. That's who we are. That's what we're meant to do always. How did they do it? And here are the three characteristics of the church. The church not only had clear activities that they were committed to, the things that God had called them to do, the ones that we just mentioned, but they were supposed to carry them out with a clear character. First, look at verses 43. They were a miraculous people. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. This word awe means holy fear. It means... That when they came together, they believed that God was in their midst. 
as they believed that when they gathered together, that there was this sense of holy reverence, knowing that when they were hearing the apostles, that God was speaking to them through the apostles. They knew that it wasn't man-made. They knew what they had just witnessed of seeing 120 speaking in different languages was God working. And so they had this sense of anticipation of when they gathered together that God was working in them and through them. My friends, when we gather together, are we in awe knowing that we are standing before the living God who deeply loves us and shows, showed us that love through his son Jesus Christ by coming to the earth, dying for our sin, raising from the dead in all power. Do we know the one that we are standing before? They did. They believed. And, and, and because they believed, they saw signs and wonders. They saw God working through the apostles. Is that what it says? I'm not saying it, right? It's, it's there. In the same way that when Jesus came and did miracles, that it caused people to listen to who he was and what he was doing, it was in the same way that God used the apostles to do signs and wonders to capture people's attention so that they could hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. William, do you believe in miracles? I believe in everything God says in this book, so yes, I do. Does God still heal people today? We just thank God for healing Vinny today. There are other people we've prayed for and God's healed them. Do we believe in physical healings? Yes, we do. Do you? Because if we do, we'll pray for people who are sick. Why? Why? Because our values shape our... We can't say that we believe that God heals and then when somebody shares with us a need that they're sick, we don't go and pray for them. Our lack of prayer speaks more than the moments we do. I really hope that when we ask somebody else to pray for us, we've prayed for ourselves already. Because you don't believe in prayer if you don't first pray yourself. So you're not willing to call out to God, but you want someone else to call out to God on your behalf? Do you really believe? Or do you guys in this room think that my prayers are more powerful in any way than yours? Because I'm bald. Because I'm a man just like you. My prayers aren't powerful. Your prayers aren't powerful. God is the one who's powerful. And when we pray, we're calling out to who? We believe in miracles. When you come here, do you come here knowing that God is going to speak to you through his word? Do you come with that anticipation? I'm coming to gather with my brothers and sisters and our God is going to speak to us. And that our God is going to touch our hearts. And our God is going to be working in our midst. And our God is going to be touching and transforming people's lives. I have a list of people to come up here to share testimonies of how God has worked in their life. A list. So they were a miraculous people. Second, we see in verses 44 and 45, they were a unified people. And all who believed were together. 
and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. So it's important that we see here, right in verse 44, what does it say? All who, what? Believed. It says that, right? So who is part of the church? All those who believe in who? So it's, cl- it's clear to us that all those who believed, they had all things in common. Because what they had in common was what Jesus Christ did for them. He saved them. They didn't have in common their interest in chess, sports, politics. They had in common that they all believed in what Jesus Christ had done for them. Amen? I don't care what political party you're part of. I don't. I don't care what sport team you root for. I don't even care who you think is going to win the Super Bowl. Now, do I care from the perspective of interest, having conversations with each other? Absolutely. But am I going to look at you one way or another because you're going to be rooting for the Chiefs instead of the Eagles? No. They had everything in common. You know what that means? That means that they went out of their way to care about other people's interests more than their own. You get that? That means that if you don't like ballet, but your church brother or sister loves ballet, you're going to love ballet too then. I don't think you should do it. But it means that you're interested. That means when you're together and they're talking about ballet, you generally want to have conversation. Because you love them to the point of caring about what they care about. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about right now? We have kids, right? Our kids have very different interests than we do. Yes or no? And the way that we show love to them is how? Is by taking interest in the things that they like. Yes or no? My son likes Lego. Pictures. You know when they're small, you get by by spending 50 bucks on a Lego. But when they're 12... They don't want $50 Legos. You know what they want? Bugattis. Legos like this big. And you're interested. Why? Because the way that we demonstrate love to other people is by caring the things that they care about. What did they do? We see two ways of how they display that they're a unified people. First, materially. What did they do when they heard that there were needs? People went and sold properties and possessions. We need to talk about this? Is that pretty clear? So when they gathered together and they saw that there was need in the church, people said literally, hey, I have a second house. I'm going to go sell it and I'm going to bring the proceeds so that we can make sure everybody here has enough. Oh, this church has needs? This church wants to hire more staff to do more ministry? I'm going to go and sell this, and I'm going to bring it and give money. Why does this church always talk about money? If you've been here long enough, you know that we do not 
always talk about money. We're talking about money because who's talking about money here? God. Thank you. Not me. Now, clarity. Was the New Testament church a commune? You guys know what that means? Did, were people forced or were they obligated to go and sell everything they had to bring their money? No. That's not what Luke is telling us here. What Luke is telling us here is that people willingly and joyfully and sacrificially did so because they knew that they were now unified with these people. So when we talk about generosity and giving, it should never be out of obligation because you have to. It should be because you're willing and you're wanting to. Why? Because it's an expression of us acknowledging that God has been generous to us. Has God been generous to us? How? He sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to come and to bear the weight of our sin so that we would no longer be condemned to hell forever, but now have everlasting peace with Jesus Christ. And we can't even come and give of all that God has given us? So they were unified people. So when they came together, they gave. William, does the church believe in tithing and giving 10% of their income? Yes, we do. And we encourage you to do so. We encourage all of our church members, people who want to be members here, to be tithers. We do. Do you know why? Because it shows us and it reminds us of who really is the Lord of our lives. It's not us. Do you know everything that we have has been given to us by God? William, are you telling me that God put the money in my bank account? Absolutely. Do you know why? Because God's given you the health that you have to live. God's given you the wisdom and the grace and the intelligence that you've had. He's given you the, the ability, the cognitive the ability of learning all the skills that you've learned so that you can go and do what you need to go do. Absolutely. It's all from God. So the question is, is how do we demonstrate that through our lives? So materially, yes, they gave of their possessions. They gave of their money. And they did so joyfully. So we want you to know that we're never going to coerce anybody here to do anything. You don't have to do anything. The more important question is, do you want to? Because when you understand what Jesus Christ has done for you, you respond automatically. We have a saying that when Jesus Christ has your heart, he also has your wallet. And you can tell whether Jesus Christ has your heart, your wallet, like your heart, based on what you do with your wallet. Does that make sense? I know you guys are enjoying this right now. You can tell, love it. Not only were they unified because they willingly gave financially to the church because of the needs that existed. And listen, uh, let me be honest with you guys. Do we have needs here at Centerview Church? We do. We're, 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 we're getting ready to hire somebody in the spring. We're super excited. We're praying about this as a board. We're looking at where our finances are. We're going to be taking a step of faith. So when you give, your generosity is working towards not just maintaining what we have here, but also what God's going to do. We have an audacious vision that we believe that God's placed in our heart of planting 10 churches, 10 more places like this elsewhere. There's lots of work to do. So when you give, you give towards that. But not only were they giving of what they had, they gave of who they were. Does that make sense? So it's not just the things that they had that they sold and they brought the money 
so that there were ne no needs, but they shared with each other. The text says what? That they were in each other's home, what? Day by day. You know what this means? Today, I'm going to go have lunch at Andrew's house. And then tomorrow, I'm going to go have lunch at John's house. And then on Tuesday, I'm going to go to Monica and Derek's house. And then on Wednesday, I'm going to go to Roger and Marta's house. And then, you know, like, Emmanuel, he still, you know, doesn't have his own place, so he's going to take me out for lunch on Thursday. Right? And then Sandeep's going to have me over to his house on Friday. And I know what everybody's thinking. Why isn't anyone going over to your house, William? <laughs> That's what it means. Yesterday, we had, the the we had the privilege of having a family here from our church at our home. Had lunch with us. That's what sharing life means. It means that we don't just give of what we have, but we want to make ourselves known, and we want others to make themselves known. That doesn't happen on a Sunday morning when it's like, okay, bye, see you. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Hey, how are you? Great, 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 great. How's work? Oh, it's going, it's going, it's going. We're not being with each other. Being unified shows that we do that through our actions. I don't know if you know this, but me and Christina, we have a goal of having every church member at our house at some point. Why? Because we want to live this out. They were miraculous people, knowing, knowing that God was in their midst and that God was working with them. They were unified people. They shared their material possessions. They gave financially, and they shared each other's life with one another. And as a result of that joy that they shared with one another, it caused what? Them to be even further generous. Okay, so we see what the activity of the church was, the things that they were committed to. They were a biblical people. They had fellowship together. They were Christ-centered, and they prayed. That's what they did. How did they do that? They did that with an expectation, always knowing that when they got together, God was going to work in their midst. And not only was God going to work in their midst, but when they came together, they're like, okay, so what are we doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday? So we want you guys to know that we're getting ready to launch our small groups sometime soon. During the week, we want to encourage you guys to participate. Here's one of the things that happens with our small group. A lot of people shine up, but then they don't show don't be that person. You commit to going to a small group for 90 minutes on a Wednesday night at 7.30 until 9 o'clock, show up. You're staying home on a Zoom. You don't even have to leave the comfort of your own home. Don't just say it, do it. And what else did they do? They were miraculous people. They were a unified people. And what was the, what's the last one? They were a worshiping people. It says, praising God in verse 46 and 47a. Look, and day by day, they, attend, they were attending where? The temple. They went to the temple every single day to pray. This didn't stop even though that they had accepted Jesus Christ. They would go. We're going to see next week in chapter 3 that they went to Solomon's portico, that outer part of the temple, and they went there to daily pray together. The church got together every day to pray. And they prayed and they worshipped God. So when we gather together, don't be surprised that we sing songs. Don't be surprised that we lift up our voices. Don't be surprised that we magnify God through song. Why? Because it's part of how we show that that's our character. That that's what it means to be church. 
It's to focus our attention of who God is. That's what the word praise means. It means to magnify the one who is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And so we do that. But pastor, I don't like singing. I, I've had people tell me this, but pastor, you know when people, people are watching me. What? They're watching me. Look, do you think anybody comes here to look at you? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm going to go to church today. I'm going to check out what, you know, Christina's doing the whole service. Whoa. Wow, she was wearing plaid today. That's not what we gather. <laughs> we gather to focus our attention on God and who he is and what he's done for us through Jesus Christ. Amen. We don't care what you're wearing. Really, we don't. So they worshiped God. And as a result of their activity and their character, look at what happened. Look at the, the effect of that now in verse 40, 46 and 47. What happens? They're a captivating church. And having favor with all the people. So now as the church is ga gathering in the temple, other people who are unbelievers who don't believe in Jesus, they're looking at them and they're like, whoa, there's something about that group of people. So much so that it drew other people in. Does that make sense? Like it was enough to cause them to be confused about why these people are acting the way that they're acting. Are you, are you with me? Like the church was captivating to outsiders. When people look at the church, they're like, whoa. I've never seen that before. And Jesus made this clear, right? In John chapter 13, he said that the world would know that we are his disciples by what? By the way that we love one another. He said this. We got it up there? John 13? A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people, say all people, will know that you are my disciples if you have love. People saw this. It was evident that when they saw the church get together, they saw expressions of love, hugs, kisses on the cheek. Expressions that demonstrated care, affection. And as people saw this, they're like, sign me up. I want that. Because I've never seen a community like this anywhere. Do you know that there are people in this church who have run out the door to go say hello to guests? To make sure that they don't come in and come out without anyone saying hello to them? You can't come here and try to skid in your way and leave without being noticed. Because we want you to know that you are here. And that we care about you being here. Why? Because we want people to be captivated by the love of Christ that has permeated our hearts and that is shown through the expressions of how we serve one another. Are you with me? Who wants to go to a church where there is infighting and hatred towards each other? Who? Is that a captivating church? This was the effect that as outsiders looked, it caught their attention. The John verse, this is our theme for 2023. 
Our theme as a church for this year was unity, loving one another. Finally, and everybody says, amen. They were a growing church. Look at what it says at the end of verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So who caused the church to grow? Who? The Lord, Jesus. My friends, my brothers and sisters, it's not our job to cause this group of people to grow. It's our job to what? Be committed to the activity that we know that we've been called to and to have the right character in doing it. And if we do that, we're going to be captivating to other people. And as those people are captivated, who's going to save them? Jesus. And look, this is very different than the previous text. That one-off, right? In one day, 3,000 people got saved. But here it's when? How often? Day by day. Continually. So the question when people say, Oh, William, but we're growing so slow. Speak to the Lord. Because I'm not the one who is called to grow the church. Am I? No, no. My job is to teach the church. My job is to be in fellowship. Right? My job is is to be Christ-centered. My job is to be praying together. My job is to know that when we get together, we believe that God is going to be working. My job is to be unified to make sure that everybody's needs are met here in this place. And my job is to come together and to be worshiping God. And if I do those things, as other people look at us, they're going to be like, wow. And God will grow the church. So we don't need better programs. Um, We don't need an outreach strategy. Um, We don't need some kind of gimmick to get people to come here. All we need is to be the church, and it's to know our identity. What God has called us to do, to do it faithfully. And when we do it, the Lord will add to our number. Amen? I want you to close your eyes for a moment right now. I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to acknowledge where you feel like you are right now. Ask yourself, am I the church? Has God saved me? Am I His? Have I repented of my sin? Have I acknowledged my own brokenness and how far I am from God? But that God has made a way for me through Jesus Christ to save me. If you have, are you committed? What does your commitment look like? What has it been up to this point? Do you see according to the Bible what it means to be committed? How are you participating in the activity that we should be doing? Are you sitting under the teaching of God's word? Consistently? Are you in fellowship with people in this room? Are you Christ-centered? Are you here for communion? Joyfully remembering what Jesus Christ has done for you? Are you gathering with us corporately to pray? To remind yourself and to remind us that we are dependent on God? And when you come here, are you excited about what God is going to do? 
Are you looking forward to how you're going to be spending time with the people in this room during the week? And when you sing and worship, is your heart filled with joy? Father God, we thank you from calling us out of darkness and bringing us into your glorious light. The whole plan of salvation has nothing to do with us and everything to do with what you have done for us. Your word says, Lord God, that while we were your enemies, while we were still sinners, you sent Jesus Christ to come and to die for us, to bear the, we the weight of our sin, to take our guilt on your shoulders so that we could be forgiven and restored back into right relationship with you. But Lord, you haven't just saved us. You've called us to serve you. And you've done that by bringing us together as a church. Lord, we pray that commitment would rise up in us. Lord, we pray that commitment would rise up in us. Understanding that our commitment to our church is an expression of our commitment to you. And Lord God, we see so clearly the activity that we're supposed to have and the character that we must have also to be able to carry those things through. Lord, we want to be the kind of people who allow our values to shape our behavior. We don't want to say something and do something else. Help us today, we pray. Lord, as we worship you now, help us respond, each and every one of us. Amen. Let's worship God together.